let's feast. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Okay, all y'all niggas for as fuck. I'm ULT and I don't fuck with you if you ain't us. In me, I trust. I turn these niggas into cosmic dust. I'm loaded, lux with a loaded K. Cop back, I spray your bust. That play of shit, that way the shit's still running through my blood. These brand new niggas took my name and drug it through the blood. I, I like that. <laughs> this is the podcast. We're all in Jayville spirits. But it's not just me and Tim this week. No, we have a third spirit of joviality. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> it's an old friend, a dear friend, but by no means a near friend. How are things going early in the morning where you are, Tara? Well, quite lovely, considering how early it is in the morning. I'm doing fine. Really happy to be with both of you. And I'm happy to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us. As we said, this is the End Podcast. You can find us on all platforms. The End Pod One Shots on YouTube. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. We are on Google Podcasts, we are on SoundCloud, we upload art to Instagram, and we also post reviews on Twitter. So it's fairly comprehensive. So out of all those choices, if you haven't followed us, liked us, or commented on one of our exemplary podcasts or uploads, shame on you. Shame on you. We've been really crushing it. It's kind of crushing, isn't it, Tim? Like, I feel that our best podcast has been since we jettisoned all the, all the Deadwood. We've been still good. I mean, like, <laughs> I feel like we've gone on to heights we couldn't have even imagined. I actually feel they were holding us back. <laughs> the conversations that we have every week are like 10 standard deviations above the, our prior meeting. I would go as far as to say this is the Imperian version of our podcast. Yeah. This is the seventh heaven of the end yeah. podcast. We would also like to mention that Tara is again here with us this week. Say, and I also don't know what that makes me. Joe Goose, Joe Goose and Brian will also be making appearances soon. <laughs> We're just having jokes in with him. We're having jokes. We miss them all. We just wish that I had more time to involve everybody more often. We miss them all. <laughs> so what are we going to be talking about this week? Let me tell you, me old mucker, a little bit of TV and trailer news off the top. Then we're going to be talking about Hickman's interview on between the panels, <laughs> outside <Stop>. the panels. <laughs> he did an interview. And was, he did it, and it was on a podcast. There was something about panels. Oh. It was, it was. Uh, I they don't, don't mind the I mean, extra but Off the panel, off, off panel, panel, off panel. Period. Yeah, <laughs> off panel. So go and listen to the interview, but not until you've heard us talk about it. Obviously. Yeah, don't leave I right mean, now. I don't want you. <laughs> I mean, like, listen to them, but definitely stay with us because we're better. Like I said, me, me and Tim FTW. Oh. <laughs> and then we're going to be getting on to Gay Superman, and I'm probably going to get us cancelled, so <laughs> awkward. And then we're going to be talking about Squid Game. And, yeah, we are probably last to the punch with this one, but I feel like it's a good time before people retaliate because it's been too good for too long. There's no negativity. I feel the criticisms are coming. So we can be the... The last stop on the late night train. The definitive stop. To love. It's, it's the definitive stop. The definitive stop. When you wake up and realize that, like, you've gone probably 50 miles after your stop, <laughs> yeah. that's what we are. Yeah. Right. <laughs> At the and end. Little, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's all started to make sense. My whole life was building to this moment. <laughs> and then it's going to be a little bit of what we've been reading, watching, or listening to. Thank you for the correction, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Have either of you guys watched Why the Last Man? I've watched a bit of it. I haven't seen all of it, but I was enjoying what I was seeing. I've only seen the first yeah, episode. I, did. I liked it. Did you like the comic book series, Tim? I did. I liked it a lot. I've read it through twice, once each several years apart. So when I first got back into comics around 2016 or 2015, I read it through and then I read it through uh, again in the last six months or so. The thing I like most about it is Brian Kavon's writing. I think we've talked about this where it's just so sparse he communicates so much in so few words in a script it's worked so beautifully with the art and the artist uh to tell the story so it's it's kind of an exemplar i think of the comic form in that way and so that i liked it formally in that respect just narratively Uh, the story i liked well enough it's sort of like a string of escalating sorts of disasters 
which is fun. I mean, it's fun to read, but I wasn't sure about it until the end. For those of you who haven't read it, I won't spoil it. But there's a couple of things at the very end of the series that happened that they have yeah, yeah. a tremendous emotional payoff. So you realize at that point, wow, I really, yeah, I really yeah. have been invested in this. So I liked it quite a bit. I absolutely agree with everything you've said, Tim. I was a bit hot and cold. I felt like the escalation was slightly problematic because when all you're doing is just, okay, we've got out of this one. Oh, but now this has happened. Okay, we've got out of this one. But now this is bigger and it's happened. Okay, we've got out of that one. It's almost as if the escalation used to be exponential and not uh, directly proportionate because you know what to expect from it. I was surprised how lip wobbled. Yeah. And sniffly I was by the the last, I don't know, the the equivalent of the last trade, maybe. Fantastic. And I actually thought the TV series was probably as true a conversion. I thought Yorick was fantastic. Who's, was it two? Oh, we're getting into numbers again, aren't we? Like with Squid Game. (laughs) Who was the lady? The black lady. The badass one that I want to have sex with. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i can't think of her name but i can guess who you're talking about agent 355 i think it's so important and it's one of the things that struck me with the walking dead as well that obviously acting chops are so important and i know it's not made for comic fans they're basically adapting a property that they think everybody's gonna like mm-hmm. and it's kind of how i was arguing with endgame it was impossible for it to make three billion basically because you get to a billion by everybody watching it. You get to two billion by everybody watching it twice. And then if you've got one of the all-time greatest, most anticipated films ever, then you might get close to the record. But us fans probably equate to, probably the maximum fans equate to is a Venom film. Yeah. <clears throat> like with The Walking Dead, <clears throat> to have characters that as near as damn it, as close as they possibly could with people that are actually good at acting. They represented the, the people on the page really, really yeah. well. Diane Lang, isn't it? Old um, Superman's mum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She really grabs the series by the nuts as well. And I liked her arc a little better than... My problem with it, it, I think it would probably put people off, is what you need to do if you want someone to agree with you that disagrees with you, you need to trick them into thinking it was their idea to change exactly. their mind. Last Christmas... I gave Brian Godshoper, the size Spurrier, mm-hmm. written and Jonas Goonface drawn. Now, Jonas Goonface has since absolutely disassociated himself from it. He said, how can a white male ever write a gay black man? Well, it's quite easy. It's quite easy. You have the basic empathy of being a human being. How can a man write a woman? How can a woman write a man? Because if, if we're saying that that's the case then no female director can ever direct a man. It's just fucking nonsense. But I disagree with Jonas Greenface because it is an absolutely brilliant title. And why it's so brilliant, it has brilliance in subtlety. There's a very, very succinct allegory that runs all the way through the book that by the time you get to the end of it, you are only sympathetic to all the characters. And it's so delicate and it's so precise, beautifully done. You feel like you've been on a ride with the characters. With Why the Last Man, the very small part of it with the Amazons or the Amazonians, whatever they were called, basically like militant lesbians, aren't they? Like pretty much. Like the whole trans thing that wasn't even in the fucking like comic. And all of a sudden... You have the, the centre of it is Yorick, this hopeless romantic that just bumbles through life. It's now been presented as being the most important thing in life. It's that duplicity in the in expectations of him pre and post whatever occurrence got rid of all the men. But this was completely subverted. Like, I liked it. But there were times when I just felt icky that it was so blatantly fucking addressing gender politics. And I'm not even saying I disagree with it. I'm just saying as as someone that's participating in the programme, I've got Twitter if I want to be hit over the head with gender fucking politics. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disagreeing with it. I'm just saying I've tuned in to watch like a a heartwarming tale about a man and his monkey. (laughs) And I think that's why it got cancelled. That feature of it does feel a little anachronistic, you know? Sometimes I wonder if that comic could be written today and be successful because it seems like it's it's so part of the zeitgeist now, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not fresh in that way, in, in a way it was, say, ten, whenever that was written, 10 years ago or whatever. Um, it's yeah. sort of, it sort of seems behind behind the times to me. Um, I don't know, Tara, what do you think about that? I agree. I, I haven't, I feel a little underinformed because I'm the only one who hasn't read the source material. 
oh sure on my wish list for a while and when i heard that the series was coming out i thought i'd watch it first and then read it but from what i've seen from what i've been over hit over the head with there are issues they wanted to use it as a platform for that i agree need discussing somewhere but i just don't know that this is the place to do it I, well, I wouldn't worry about the urgency of reading it because it's not like you have to keep up with the TV program Well, anymore. that's I was like, well, pressure <laughs> off, I guess, but I still want to see the rest of what's there on the TV because I was enjoying it. Is there a chance this could be moved yeah, elsewhere? Not, yes. Uh, maybe. They'll probably shop it There's, around. But like with Deadly Class, like Rick Remender, yeah, he campaigned openly, but to no avails. I think the problem is now you're, what you're having is streaming services dropping shows yeah. that aren't really likely to be picked up by others. Unless, of course, the only ones that... Are obviously aren't possible now with the words for budgetary reasons was the uh, Netflix Marvel stuff mm-hmm. that was cancelled. wasn't because of Disney Plus, it was because it was too expensive and people weren't watching them anymore. The only way I could see is if Amazon could use that as a lost leader, like we discussed with the um, copyright termination cases. Oh, oh, right. oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So someone like Amazon could use like a, a Marvel IP as a lost leader. So there was, I think there's, you know, oh. there's potential for something like yep. that. But no one, if no one's interested in why the last man, then why would Amazon pick it up really i mean that's the way i look at it anyway next off the top because it's becoming less off the top and more in the middle (laughs) do you know what i'm saying like i feel like we've gone straight to the heavy petting of the episode (laughs) yeah Yeah, come on quickly quickly so eternals guys we we had the the premieres all last week and people have been saying it's boring (laughs) well do you know what I'm happy about it because at least they're being honest, unlike with Shang-Chi. What have you heard, Tim, and how do you feel about what you've heard? Well, it might be that I'm just self-selecting into certain like uh, like Twitter critics or something like that. Uh, but I actually heard that it was like, looked like great. And I know that's different from like a lot, a lot of the chatter, you know, like on social media, but like I just jotted down a few terms of stuff I saw from actual critics on Twitter. Rich, beautiful, engaging different from the prior MCU yep. stuff, dense, epic, but also somehow down to earth. So I'm presumptively going to just agree with them having seen nothing, you know, other than any of the trailers. Yeah. But in, and the reason for that is because of the director and the writer, Chloe Zhao. Can I tell you my list that I saw? Oh, gosh. oh yeah, yeah, do. Please do. <laughs> Boring snooze fest, even worse than Shang-Chi. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't see any of that. No, I'm joking. Uh, no, I made oh. it. I just like, I just, I just like any, any, um, I just like an excuse to, uh, <laughs> to, to push Shang-Chi's head in the wall. <laughs> to be fair to you too. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's actually, that no. might be kind of, um, Perfect. I think maybe the two sides are not disagreeing because it's just like how they're interpreting, like the mm. critics are saying that I saw are like, this is like a Ben-Hur epic. Yes, um, I saw breath- Ben-Hur yeah, yeah, Breathtaking. Yeah. One person's breathtaking Ben-Hur epic can be someone else's boring piece of shit, right? But uh-huh. I tend to think it's going to be good because just like I said, the director is, I think like borderline a genius. Yeah, I, I agree with you. My dad is a very simple man. And by his own admission, and he's also one of the nicest men you'll ever meet. He, if somebody asks him, he will always say yes within reason. Mm-hmm. And he was so emotionally moved by Nomadland, mm-hmm. it affected him personally. And he was just like, yeah, there's like all these people that have been affected by the boom and bust economy and during the pandemic, like there's people that are li- having to live like this. And it, because he got COVID pretty bad as well. Mm. Paramedics were called oh, out gosh. a bunch of times. And like every time he went, yeah, every time he went to sleep, like he, he was going to die. And it really affected him mentally. So I think that it was in tune with his, I think how sensitive he'd become yeah. to people and like life. And I think it was like a perfect not serendipity, but like almost, yeah, just like a, just, yeah, I suppose, yeah, serendipity of the two things. I just don't want to put it in a positive way because obviously right. I'm fucking scared him to death. But, it, but it, for him to, he's usually blockbusters. If the, if the fast cars and explosions, he'll fucking love it. He doesn't <laughs> care about plot holes. He don't care about character interaction. He doesn't care about three-act structures. <laughs> if it explodes, he's there. <laughs> <laughs> And he talks about it, not like he talks about it all the time. When I told him that Eternals was being directed by Chloe Zhao, he was like, fucking hell, this is going to be good then. That's big, yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited for it for that, I mean, for that reason alone. And I don't know, I mean, it's it's sort of interesting to direct. Marvel's been famous for playing some auteur, you know, some auteurs. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I love that they're just continuing to do this. Um, and they're just like up it. They're just like 
raising the stakes, you know, bringing in like true, like, yeah. you know, visionary people. So that, I think it's awesome. And I'm excited. So having said that, yeah. I'm one thing, you know, about me is I'm very willing to admit when I'm wrong to so making a mm. prediction here on the show. But if it turns out that it sucks, I will come in and say that. So making a mistake isn't a mistake. Not realizing you've made a mistake is a yeah. mistake. Well said. I'm with you on this one, Tim. <laughs> I, I felt moved by the trailer. And as soon as I heard that Chloe Zhao was associated with it, I got excited. And I was already excited about the cinematography. And then I was like, oh, that's why. I was so mm-hmm. excited. Oh, I also totally. can't stop singing the damn song from the trailer. It's in my head. Like rent free now. So I, if anyone can dislodge that song yeah, today, I would yeah, really yeah. appreciate it. Because <laughs> it's kind of a bummer. This looks beautiful. It just made me want to be inside a theater and feel yeah. big. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm- I just love that she's doing it all on location. Yeah. It's kind of like if your wife's got like a massive dildo oh, Lord, and you've got a little willy, coming. you've got a little willy, then you still want to have sex, right? Mm. Like <laughs> just because. Just because you've got the equipment to be able to do it bigger doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least try giving her a poke every now and again. <laughs> wow. hey, just a tip for everybody. Just don't work the middle. <laughs> <laughs> just a tip. <laughs> I somehow knew that was coming today. I don't know why. <laughs> yes. Right, Batman trailer. How do you feel about the Batman trailer? It's fucking amazing! That's how you feel about it. Oh my god, it's so fucking I squeed. good! I, I actually squeed. I can't even stop. Live. Honestly, it's, it's so good. It's so good. I squeed on a stream. Oh. That's how. That's how excited I was. You, you you streamed on a stream. I didn't stream on a stream, but that's lovely oh. as an idea. But I did squee on a screen. Double naughty. <laughs> I double. I double streamed everything. <laughs> honestly, honestly, guys, I watched that and I thought, do you know what the most important thing in the world is? It's Batman. <laughs> like, you, like Spider-Man, Captain America, Dying Man, Thor, you Get can back. keep them all. I don't care about Ragnarok anymore. Ragnarok's <laughs> just a blip in the distance. I don't care that they butchered the source material because we've got Batman. <laughs> with Marie, I'm in a funny place. I'm trying to catch up with the X-Men trades because there's been like another bunch of them released. I'm pre-reading potential crystal Christmas presents for Tim, and I'm also trying to read all the presents that I received last year to not make a mockery of this year's Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm thinking November is the month for pre-reading. By the way, it's not that Tim's special. Like oh, it Tim, is. Tim and Tom are, are, are equally he, he is, he's special. I don't know. Well, listen to the intro. You'll find out how special yes. is. <laughs> but, Bald-headed stepchild like, here. The thing is with Tim, <laughs> Tim is... I'm the thing with buying Christmas presents for Tim, it's like David Beckham's asked you for football bits. That's, <laughs> That's the so problem. That's true. That's perfect. <laughs> So you have to go through all these like back channels, dark web comics <laughs> to find stuff. But the thing is, I've not read them, so I don't want to send him shit. Right. And what I'm finding out is it's really like hit and miss and the stuff. Some of the stuff I've read, I'm like, all right, this is fine. And then other stuff, I'm just like, fucking hell, Tim's going to absolutely love oh, this. Yeah. And then he goes, you mean plastic? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cross that one off there. Speaking of plastic, Doug, he, he lives locally. We could probably interview him. Ooh. Yeah, let's just yeah, that yeah. goes. So the point of Batman. <laughs> oh yeah, trailer. Batman. Yeah. So so what I'm doing is I'm looking at I've got um James Tiny in the fourth, uh his detective comics omnibus. I've got three Grant Morrisons in a Paul Dini wow. omnibus. And I'm just looking at them and thinking, that Tim don't even like Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> like I've never been a huge Batman fan until we started reading the comics. It was just another film. Mm. I read the Scott Snyder thing, I've read like a couple of other oddities as well. But he's just a cool character, isn't he? There's just something about him. He's a super him. cool character. And I, I love the casting, too. I think Robert Pattinson's just tremendous. I love him I as an actor. finally say that's, yes that's to that. He's a good actor that he is completely... Any stink that was associated with Twilight, he is, it's gone. He's like now like a legit, yeah. full-on leading man. And now he's... Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's Batman. The one thing I... So I counted um, Catwoman, Riddler, and Penguin as villains in the trail. Did you guys see anybody else? Mm. Am I missing anybody? I didn't see anybody else. Okay. My one, like, slight concern is, like, you know, DC especially has a tendency to stuff 50 plot lines into one movie. And I, yeah, I yeah, wonder yeah. if maybe you got to hold some of those bullets for another time. But that's my <laughs> only possible concern. But it looks dope. I think with that in mind, what 
puts my mind at ease because you are absolutely accurate, Tim, as you are always. It, it's Matt Reeves, and he's dealt with a trilogy before with Planet of the Apes. So that's what sets my mind at ease. I will tell you what I didn't remember talking about the cast. Andy Serkis yeah. is Alfred. Yeah. I love the sassy ones. I, Jeremy Irons was sick. Yeah. I didn't put together the Planet of the Apes stuff. Those were so good. That does put me at ease. So good. It's almost like a perfect trilogy, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. really, really good. And I think in the in the realms of the remake and the reboot that we're having now, this is the thing. There's a player called Ryan Giggs who played for like 20 years for Man U. A horrible, horrible, horrible human being, but very good footballer. Now, after he retired, they're always looking for the next Ryan Giggs until Ronaldo signed for Man U. Mm. And then they just forgot about Ryan Giggs. There's never there'll never be the next Ryan Giggs because when that came along, it's just Ronaldo. Mm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I feel like with reboots and with like remakes, mm. the legitimate ones will never come across that way. Like Planet of the Apes, now just Planet of the Apes trilogy, yeah. right? Like it's just when you say that, that's what you think of. Like nobody's thinking of Mark Wahlberg bumming an orangutan on the beach. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Grace Randolph on Behind the Trailer. I'm really selective about the stuff that we use as news and then differentiating between that and discussion point. What if this is true? Let's talk because it's fun or talking about it. like Grace Randolph. She seems to be pretty nailed on. Like her sources seem legit and she doesn't announce things unless she knows a lot like John Campier. I mean, she's so f- shrill though. It's kind of like, <laughs> well, let's have a look and see what Marvel are doing <laughs> this week. Looks like... <laughs> <laughs> Looks like Mac Murdoch's going to be coming to his <laughs> in the form of Echo. But he may also be joined by Kingpin. But we just don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> we should send this episode right to her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but probably... Probably not, because I was just about to say that she reminds me of Lisa Simpson gargling cum. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I can just feel those likes coming in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mash that like button, everybody. Yeah, mash it. <laughs> uh, she's um, she's like she's a, like a, a curious character because she's you only ever see her face though, but she's like a homuncle. <laughs> she's so small. <laughs> <laughs> like you really have to search on the internet because she's quite like she's not an unattractive lady, but it's just like a, an attractive lady that's been squished down to about four foot six. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a bit mean, isn't it? Hi, Grace. Love you, baby. (laughs) Honestly. Come on. Slide in the DMs. (laughs) Make some nerd babies, baby. (laughs) Uh, I should stop drinking. (laughs) Right. Uh, Hickman. (laughs) Hickman did an interview on off panel with David Harper. Now, Tim, it's time, to, it's time to drop this serious hammer on this one because we've talked about Substack in the past mm-hmm. and we've spoken about Hickman's X-Men. I found both distasteful. You used the word swindle. Mm-hmm. I've used phrases like why are fans so eager to be taken advantage of. Now, I've not listened to many Hickman interviews. But this interview took all the problems I had with all the individual things and just made me think, do you know what? This is just Hickman. I just don't like him. Sounds like the whole X-Men thing was under duress. Like, why did he even bother? He was saying things like, can't knock everything out the park. Yeah. At least Hawks was good. It was just all calculated. The whole Substack thing was just reinforces everything I thought about create agreed mm-hmm. Because the way he talks about it, you know, I can now get the three artists of my choice on any book I want and I can pay them double what DC pays them. How is that sustainable? It's not. Hard copy media is dead except for comics. He did seem like he was grateful for being a part of it, but he was also fucking complaining a lot as well. And he's the prima donna of of comic books, isn't he? Like Hickman will sell anything. Can you imagine what a Hickman Batman would sell? Oh my God. It would be like the biggest book whatever year it is, yeah. I would say that's probably the only thing that might be able to get a million sales, even close to it. The funny thing about that is the fact that I bought every single part of Don of X, right? So like all the way back from Hawks and Pox all the way through to this week, I buy all those books, every single issue. It was the promise that 
it would pan out a Hickman book. You can't know, you know, month to month, what is necessarily even going on, but you certainly right. don't see the, the, like the grand plan, you know, there was a promise that it would turn out like fantastic four, same thing. These other books that he's he's huge epic stuff that he's done that you have to wait to the end to really get the full picture and to really see it fully round out and come together. And so I bought all these things thinking like, this is going to be the biggest thing of the decade in Marvel Comics with Hickman running, show, basically show running x right. and personally writing some of the, I mean, the, the absolute cr- critical titles. And then in the end, I just feel like I spent like $1,000 on stuff I don't even care about. And that's not true of all the titles. Like there's some of the side titles that I've liked quite a bit. I've liked Marauders a lot off the top of my head. And then of course, Hawks and Pox argue is even worth the price of admission. You know, it, I think it's that good the day like matt saying like i kind of feel like i got taken for a ride and i did it on the promise that it would turn out like fantastic Fortnite or some of these other huge sort of epic scaled stories would turn out and i just don't feel like it has and this the interview has sort of confirmed my view that not only is are we not getting some great payoff but it doesn't seem like he even cares that much whether we are he didn't seem he cared at all and what annoyed me the most using the quote what i've done is start fires and walk away I've now realized that I don't have to blow things up. I just stop and make something else. You don't have to blow up your life to start something new. Yeah, I kind of just had enough of it. So I'm done and I'm gone. Did a lot of stuff in Hoxpox that, you know, we need to tie up. So I can't go away until I've done that. Honestly, it boils my fucking blood. Why are we as fans so eager to be taken advantage of? A 24 Hickman era trades for X-Men. I've got another six coming, and they're just the ones that are available. This is going to be like 40 trade paperbacks, and Hox Pox is fucking huge. So that's that's basically like an oversized hardcover omnibus. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like an absolute edition or something. Yeah. It's scandalous, but it was just so blase about it. Yeah, we made mistakes. I didn't really want to do the X-Men title this way, but they told me to do it this way. So we kind of find a middle ground. And even if this is what you feel, like I, I, I feel betrayed by this line and all you're doing is confirming it. Like, have the humility to not piss on someone's chips when they're, when they're expecting roast beef. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, it's just... And, you know, I, I could have exercised better judgment in the middle, sort of like realizing maybe my plan is wrong. I shouldn't wait to the end. Maybe it is just going to be terrible. But I was like, no, no, no. It's going to pan out. Like, something's going to happen. Now I have a long box, like a literal long box of these comics. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know how many comics that yeah. is, but it's like a lot and very expensive. I feel like yeah. pissed, kind of. That's like a th- that's that's a, that's like a thousand dollars each. Like what, two hundred times five dollars each? Yeah. So there you go. You know what annoys me about that the most, Tim? Even if you wanted to sell them, you'd probably get a good like complete run from Hox Parks. Like you could probably get good money for that. Like at least get your get your own shelf value mm-hmm. back. But even if you wanted to get rid of the tat, no one's looking for a for an Excalibur complete set. No one's looking for a X Factor complete set. So, yep. but then you've got no option to sell it as a bulk because even at five hundred dollars, no one's buying that. Right. Right. I just found the whole thing tragic. It was tragic for the fans, but just obnoxiously unaware by Hickman himself. The same things when he was talking about Substack. <laughs> it seems like Substack's going to get fucked over as well because they were saying that, yeah, we've got this one. And like I said to you, it's going to be a lost leader because the money they're paying them, they can't balance yeah. out. They can't balance it out. I'd be surprised if it was any less than five figures per creative because you've got to pay people as well. So I said five, six figures for some of the top, top dogs. And then they don't have to apparently carry on the next year when they have to make their own money. So they could walk away. And all the creatives could just start up their own Substack. Yeah. Yeah, they sure could. I mean, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't well, you? Well, even if you stay, just, you I mean, have the printing you... rights too, right? Like you can just go out and print comics yeah. and sell them and start, you know. And, and it was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're tired of just surviving. Yeah, but you studied English literature and you live in your mum's fucking basement. <laughs> what job did you expect to get from that? The, the other thing about that, guys is that as we talked about this before like okay great you're tired of living month to month or whatever okay but the only people getting these Substack deals are the absolute top creators who are not struggling okay. i'm sorry whatever you want to tell them, they are not yeah. struggling and so they're not struggling. yeah you know i don't know whatever we've been over this but just to say like you are not the one to be talking about 
living paycheck to paycheck, Jonathan Hickman, comma, yeah. right? Comma, Jonathan right. Hickman. The whole hunger artist thing, that the only people invited into this clique are the people that have already made it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be highly branded to make it in. To do a sub stack, right? I'm not, I'm not the first person they ask. It's going to be these guys. Right. And the reason for that is because they're so popular, they can sell. How humble was Colin Bunn when we, we asked, like, you are the preeminent horror writer? No matter how hard I pushed him, I could not get him to, like, take a claim. Wow. Oh, my God. Jonathan Hick. The contrast Jonathan between, Hick- him like and was- between Colin Bunn and Hickman is just like, Hickman went, well, at the end of the day, look, I've done some seminal runs and stuff. And, you know, that's just a matter of fact. Right. So <laughs> so now, you know, it doesn't really matter if everything isn't hit out the park because that's what I've got. And I don't have to do that every time. It's honestly, that interview stunk the place out. I, I've listened to a lot, a lot of interviews on on various, especially with research for like Kelly Thompson, for Chip Zdarsky, mm-hmm. for Cullen Bunn. I've spent weeks listening to interview after interview after interview after interview on from just one creative. I've never heard anything as repugnant as that arrogant son of a bitch. Honestly, it made my t- I I just felt like it was it was almost like a gotcha. It's like he didn't know he was being recorded. <laughs> yeah. It did feel that way. And there's like no like shame to it either. He was just like, Yeah, this was kind of- It's almost as if he was like, Right, you want a fucking interview? I'll give you an interview. <laughs> oh, 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 you want an interview, right? Okay. Oh, well, <laughs> I knew you were going to get you into yeah. <laughs> you, you did not hold back. So We want transparency, yes. but yeah. we just don't like it when it's not the transparency, when it doesn't give us the things that we want yeah. to That's, see. That sounds fair. <laughs> Why can't you guys just tell the truth? That we want. I don't like yeah. you. <laughs> I don't like you. I like your money. Right. I don't want you to be transparent at all. <laughs> no, anymore. Shut up about that. <laughs> no, I want you to tell me that you <laughs> yeah. like me. <laughs> uh, and talking about people liking things, Superman likes something new, doesn't he, Tara? <laughs> he does. <laughs> he likes the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor has been writing Superman. And Superman's off in space. He's gallivanting around. He's having all kinds of crazy space sex. <laughs> but when he's going to come home, he's going to be finding out that his um, his son is a bisexual and has been having crazy sex as well. How do you feel about this? <laughs> <laughs> I've missed that. I've missed that moment where you know exactly when to call on me. I'm of a couple of minds of about it. I, I'm I'm ambivalent. How's that? On the one hand, I have my my own feelings because I am an LGBTQIA plus ally. <laughs> I feel like it's important to support everyone in what they do, but there's something about this that feels like it could be a bit of a grab for attention instead of something that was organic to the character. And that's the problem yep. that I'm having. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I'm going to really get into the weeds with this. You see how my voice has got serious. It's so answer the phone when it rings in the day. And we saw with all new or different with Marvel, the black Spider-Man, Green Hulk, who had a black Captain America. The issue is you can't differentiate good writing with strength of cap with, with, characteristic kareen hulk was absolutely terrible and lasted five minutes lady thor was fantastically written so it worked but across the line when you look at things like iceman america chavez when they've had solo titles they've immediately become minis like it or not when i go to my comic shop when i go to the cinema 70 80 percent white men now you can look at that two ways. I, I'm being generous for the sake of conversation. It's probably like 90% in the comic shops. Now, there's two ways of that. One, there's not the inclusion, so there's not the, the avenues in for people. Or two, that's the market that you're selling to. Marvel weren't cancelling titles that sold over 14000 a month. Here's the addition to that. Are you giving it enough rope to hang itself by only giving it six issues? You either start something organically that grows and give it the respect it deserves and the time it deserves. It's hijacking a character as big as Superman. Now, I know Superman's son. Unless the relationships were imperative to the character in the first instance, like Superman and Lois, then you are hijacking a story to add that into it. 
if it has narrative value, if it's written well, if it has characteristic purpose, then absolutely. What I find most damaging is that Tom Taylor did it to shake things up. Because if we can't do this now, then when can we? If you're doing it for reputational games to shake the apple cart, or if DC are doing it simply to create attention and to sell more volumes, then that's a nefarious way of doing it. I think it's insulting to the LGBTQ people because it's it, it feels like pandering. But at the same time, it's also insulting to the people that were just reading Superman comics anyway. I'm not saying you should be insulted because specifically he was made bisexual, but what I'm saying is you've made such a dramatic change in generic characteristic to a character for simply impact. I have not read the comic at all. I haven't read, I, I do like Tom Tamara. I have not read the comic at all. I have known nothing about John Kent, really. Uh, I'm sort of just like, I'm beginning to dabble in DC uh, mm. on a regular basis. So I can't speak to any of the stuff about whether it's organic to the story or any of that. But assuming that's, assuming, assuming that's right, you've got that right, Matt. I think your critique is completely reasonable because the question is not whether it's a problem that the character is bisexual. The, quite, the problem, if, if the problem exists, is that it's uh, entire, you alluded to this too when you said it was kind of a grab, right? It's just not organic, yeah, yeah. just, as you said, upset the apple cart. Um, and that is just not, it's not good storytelling if that's what's going on. But I mean, the, the, great, the great line is that he's a fucking alien. What does it matter who he shags? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like he, it's not like he was destined to do one or the other. <laughs> The one thing that bears mentioning, I think, is I saw he, Tom Taylor, I think, posted something on Twitter that <clears throat> the book's like selling out like crazy. So whether that's because people yeah. are invested in the story or they yeah, want the, the special issue where John Kent, you know, reveals that he's bisexual, I, I can't speak to. But anyway, it's selling. For me, it's like I, I started buying the book because I like him so much. So yeah. I, I continue mm. to buy it. That's for a lot of speculators, there's got to be tons of people like that who are just buying that particular mm. issue, let's say, right? As, so that would be that would be an interesting question. Like, does that particular book spike and then the, the rest of the run or the prior issues in the run are at a certain level, right? If that book, that yeah. one issue spikes up, that might indicate spec. And then the other thing I think is worth mentioning is that we're talking about the criticism of the story in terms of the art of storytelling. It strikes me that a lot of people are criticizing this because they don't, it, for like Comicsgate reasons, right? The idea that's that, like, different. I don't feel that completely way. different. Just to be clear, we're, we are no, not talking is. about that. No, that no. Is not. And then also the critique no. about storytelling is a good faith critique based in art, not right. not a bad faith yeah. critique based in whatever the, those people's problem is. And can I just add to that? If he even even if this started out sort of out of nowhere and he finds a way to make it organic to the storyline, I'm ready yeah, to embrace yeah. that. Do you know what it reminds me of? You know, it reminds me of Marvel events. Um, Hickman's Secret Wars was seeded. Secret Invasion was seeded. Um, Captain America's Secret Invasion was seeded, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it, we had two Captain America titles for 12 months leading up to right. flashbacks and everything. And it was really gearing up to um, Secret Empire, sorry. And I always say that it's not... People don't have event fatigue because there's a Super Bowl, there's a Champions League final, there's an FA Cup final every year. People aren't fatigued by that. Well, people are fatigued by shit events. If it's if it's seeded right and there's a build-up to it and it's not kind of just like dumped yeah. in and people see it as distasteful because of the immediacy of it, because it seems like it wasn't really considered. I think it's the same sort of impact, really. I, I got to read this story, I think. I mean, I have the issues. I should read it and just see and kind of report yeah. back to you guys about, you know, to what extent it's foreshadowed or seeded or, or what. I did see a comment that um, tried to tie it into, oh, his son is also attracted to reporters because the guy he's attracted to is a reporter. So there was that attempt. I'd be interested to see when you've read them. And now I'm wanting to read them too. Yeah, I mean, the question, yeah, I am. Yeah, it's trade waiting. I mean, it's done its job, right? Yeah. That's so funny. We're talking about this for 20 minutes and none of us have read it. Yeah, none of us have read it. And now I'm like, fuck it. Oh, I've got to get some, i got to get me some Superman. <laughs> Batman who? Batman, no, I'm sorry, Batman. I love you. <laughs> right, me old mucker. All right. So I think it's about time we put that one to bed. So, I mean, yes. 
I think the moral of the story is we've we've fallen foul of not reading something, having gra- ideas of grandeur that we know what's best for everybody, but in actual fact we ain't even read it. So let's let's uh, let's let's close that one oh off with that introspection and honesty. And now talking about introspection, boy oh boy, Tim. <laughs> Boy, oh boy, Squid Game. There is a lot to unpack. Yeah, there is. So much to unpack. I mean, it's like all the other topics put together. Why cancelled? Eternal's reaction? Batman trailers? Gay Superman? Bisexual Superman. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Hickman. If you put all that and rolled it up into a tidy little package in a little black box and tied a ribbon around it and put it in a crematorium, (laughs) that's where we would be with Squid Game, my man. Yep. Uh, should we just give, I assume that everyone has seen at least part of this, but maybe just give, I'll give maybe just like three sentences on generally what the show's about. So basically we have a show in which. Just, um, just, uh, I'll just say that it's spoilers throughout. So to be oh, fair, yeah. if you ain't watched Squid Game by now, don't, don't blame Tim. Don't blame me. <laughs> you haven't seen that. Blame Tara. <laughs> Tara's the new girl. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got a, this show, it's a, you know, a, a South Korean show on Netflix, streams on Netflix. You can watch it, I believe, in dub or sub. I saw it in dub. But the show is basically where you have a, the social losers, the social and economic losers of, you know, sort of global capitalism are recruited. And these are all people who are just tremendous amount of debt and all of them in some way are, are really on the margins of society. So they're recruited mm-hmm. by this sort of shadowy cabal to compete in a battle royale, really to the death in a series of children's games to determine who among them, which one among them will walk out alive and join the cabal's economic, if not social status, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a social satire disguised as a, I think a genre picture, ultimately. Absolutely. I mean, it is a bat- in the, the tradition of like the Hunger Games or any of these sort of battle royale, mm-hmm. um, you know, movies or shows. But it's really like, I think, a, a very astute social satire. And I don't know about you, Tara, but for me, I'm actually quite ambivalent about this show. I really, really admire what the show is, quote unquote, about. And I have some ideas about what it's about, themes, and it's, it's what it's trying to communicate. But I also found myself really repulsed in some way by very performative violence the entire thing those are my that's sort of like where i am whether i like the, i do i like it i, I admire its ideas but it mm-hmm. was very i thought it was very difficult to watch what did you think and, and what you know the i think because i had been warned that it was quote unquote a lot and difficult yeah. to watch that i went in sort of braced for that and so mm-hmm. that kind of desensitized me a little bit to the mm-hmm level of violence and I I because afterwards I was thinking if I hadn't had that warning I think that would have like kept me up yeah there's like a 15 minute like mass slaughter and it just right. kind of continues there um what what did you guys Matt did you have that reaction what did you feel about the the sort of aesthetics of the, of the show well I think um the two things are separate to me I think that visually the violence i think i'm prepared for it because Mm -hmm. it's really a battle royale and my mind went back to even something before that lawn mower man oh yeah yeah correction running man the book's actually one of the few books that i've like proper novels that i've read from start to finish over a couple of days the novel is a lot closer to something like this but it's it's actually played out over a city where you're hunted and you take, if you survive for two days you get the money sort right. of things but i think visually we can become acclimatized to violence too much too easy something like this is usually like in torture porn right like in the saw or like in a final destination but i think when you put it in what something is effectively like a dramatic series very character heavy and character driven i think it makes you actually tune into what you're watching which you don't usually do which are not usually made to do big titted animal that gets slewn in the first first five minutes of a horror film for fucking in the bushes <laughs> you don't have any attachment to it but what this did very carefully considerately done was give you emotional attachment to somebody that was actually i mean something like the walking dead did but even then but even then it's zombies it's, so much more visceral and has more verisimilitude when it's a person against a person and when you attach emotion yes. to it that it's not a climatic evil it's people that don't want to commit these atrocities to each other and i think the visceral nature of the violence is actually 
it's an important thing for us to check our expectations of what we are comfortable with. My wife, she watched it before I did. She said, "What? Why the pink? Why is there anybody in pink? Like, why these sort of like childlike colors and sort of video game set pieces and stuff like that?" And that is a very, very, I think, interesting part of the aesthetics of the show. I'm wondering what you guys made of that. I, I have ideas, but I'm curious what you what you thought. It goes back to the sort of like cubism, sort of modern art. You know, with this, what? Who was the guy that did the um? You know, the stairs that don't. Quite... Oh, Escher. Oh, Escher. Escher, isn't it? Yeah, Escher's Escher's relativity, wasn't yeah. it? It's actually quite funny because his Escher's story is is kind of almost like has this dramatic irony to the to the series because he was actually a really sickly child <laughs> that wanted to be an architect and. He, he was so ill, he missed so many of his final exams and of his education, even as a child, that he scraped through everything, but was never able to become an architect. But from that, he used the geometric shapes and patterns to become a success in postmodernist cubist art, if it's happenstance of what it is. But if you see somebody that was basically trying to achieve something, but always losing, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden becomes good at something through fortune of circumstances. Escher's journey to be an Escher is almost reflective of the TV show. Mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, That's too. much more complex than my thoughts on it. I think the show, at least to me, I mean, it's about many things. I don't know if it's meant to be a Marxist critique of capitalism, but it's certainly a critique of capitalism. Very, very astute about Marxism. But I also read it as the sort of primo levi dilemma of the death camps in Nazi Germany couldn't unsee that once I saw it for the first time. But I read the childlike aesthetics of the sets and the colors uh, in the context of this sort of uh, capitalism critique. Because I thought, like, one of the things about that capitalism does to people is it dehumanizes them, right? It, it right. dehumanizes both the worker and the capitalist. And what what better way to dehumanize a person than to infantilize them? So I thought, like, the children's games. The, the like pretty little colors, the fun little video game sets were part of that kind of theme about about infantilizing the players. And I, so I read it in that context. I did not see the um, Escherian elements, but I confess that is much more interesting than my reading. Are we going to bother with the names? There's no, no, no just, want to do just, the names. Uh, if you... Let's just call, let's just do it by defining characteristics or number of, even if we know that. So the old dude that ends up being the guy behind the machination, like, I don't care about that, this foreshadowing, whatever, you can watch it back and yeah, he's always ahead, whatever, whatever, whatever. Like, that's just the standard twist. I worked out who the guy in the black mask was very, very early on. In the very opening sequence, there is like a lot, a lot of premise put on these people there were squid games. Two of them were in the game and there was somebody else there. This is that guy, the black mask is definitely that guy. He is definitely that guy. But then I thought about it more and more and the the emphasis on that at the very beginning of playing children's games, the whole thing through it of children and the fact that you had, oh, the, the main character, the nice guy that won it and the guy that was like the hero that went to business school from his area. For me, it was, and again, I think you extract from it what you will and you can be over clever and you can find things that link together that aren't what were meant to be there originally but for me it was about corruption of the innocent of childhood and the perversion of childhood that you had these two guys with equal opportunity not equality of outcome you had one that had to steal and beg and he was a scumbag you're rooting for the worst of the worst stealing from his mother can't take his daughter out for dinner he's in debt to gangsters And yet he becomes the central protagonist and the guy that ends up winning it. And then you have the businessman that works a lot harder than he has. But through the innocence of childhood, they were both corrupted by success and lack of success. Mm -hmm. And through the games, there's this great juxtaposition between almost almost like the modern seven deadly sins of of capitalism, Mm -hmm. whereby everyone had been betrayed by a system, whether they succeeded or failed by it. There is a pressure through being successful maintaining success and not having success and it kind of to me the whole childhood game thing it was kind of like this this corruption of the innocence of childhood like it doesn't really matter wherever you end up you're going to end up and your experience yeah and that's really i think supported by the revelations that player one you know ultimately gives like 
and even throughout the show, he talks about, oh, this reminds me of and the place where I grew up, right? One of those final games, the marble game, right? Yeah. He's like, so it's it's always harking back yeah. to that. And in fact, at the at the end, the big reveal really, really does connect up to the theme you're talking about, Matt. And I think the theme that I saw too, which was this idea that capitalism corrupts not just the worker, and that's it's obvious throughout the show that critique but it also corrupts the capitalist the, the owner of the capital and player one is a stand-in for that so when he talks about the mm-hmm. end like on yeah. his literal deathbed talking about how he designed the game because he couldn't feel anything anymore right and that is i mean it's he's telling you right out loud i mean that it's the critique personified right, right? that that th- this lifetime of accumulating money which uh, effectively yeah. killed him right and he he was yeah, yeah, go back yeah. one last time to feel what it was like to feel again and that version of it connects up right to what you're saying matt it's it's a feeling of of getting back to what it was like to be a child so yeah i agree and when you look at things like wolf on wall street when i don't know if it's when we're introduced to jonah hill but when they're having that massive drugs party and he's just standing in the middle of the room masturbating when his wife walks in she's like what are you doing he's like just fuck off and let me finish <laughs> It's it's almost like like the progression of pornography. Like once you've seen like a hundred women being bummed, then you sort of look at like maybe maybe something a little bit more spicy, and then after that, what comes yeah. next? A little bit more spicy, yeah. and then before you know it, you're fucking heavily into dogs and women, and your mum's fucking <laughs> cancelling the internet. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know what I mean though. Yeah. Like it, there's always a one-upmanship to maintain on equilibrium. If you're not totally, I mean. totally, yeah. Exactly. And all that stuff, it's like, it's very well drawn out because it's, you can, you can see the human element to that fact um, in your own probably experiences, but it also connects up to this sort of like broader social critique, which I thought was just very beautifully done by the show. I'm becoming increasingly tired of the multiple tiered ending trope that seems to be, well, this was career, but... The first thing I can remember is obviously the six endings from Lord of the Rings or whatnot. Like, I get it. I always, I always think that like when they walk off into the distance, I always go, "All right, I just like to see them having a cup of tea and make sure they're all right afterwards." But like the multi- when you have a whole episode of basically postscript. Come on, dude. Yeah. Come on, man. Can we have wrapped this up? Was the final game in the? Is there any games in the last episode, or is that the last? No, no, no! It's already wrapped up. It's this entire postscript. Yeah, it's like there's like an hour of postscript. Yeah, I was. I remember looking at just my Netflix thing and thinking, like, okay, the final. He won the game. There's still like a two hours left. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? So, I, do you know what I, I want to talk about? Too? I thought I did. Do you know what I want to talk about? Yeah. Do you know what I want to talk what? about? <laughs> what? Do you know what I want to talk about? Do you? Dallas. Hey, I want to talk about you too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. In the wise words of salt and pepper, let's talk about sex. <laughs> <laughs> that could go so many ways. Where's he going? <laughs> does he want to push it good or does he want to talk about sex, baby? I don't know which way. <laughs> you, you tireless scamp, Tara. Thank you. And that's why we wanted to go. <laughs> Even right. though you call me the new girl. So for me, right, Tim, <laughs> let's get off the fucking like highbrow when I'm talking about sex, what I'm talking about <laughs> is let's stop trying to be so clever and get down and dirty with this. Now, okay. What I want to say to you, Tim, is you're a clever man. I love you for mm. it. You're an attractive man. <laughs> <laughs> because of his, his swole intellect, mm. he is a lubricious man by nature. <laughs> <laughs> right. So what I mean about talking about sex, Tim, let's get down and dirty on this one. That's what I'm saying to you. I don't want to, we've gone highbrow. That's what we do. I mean, I am afraid to say it. We're good at that. But what I want to do is ask you now, how the fuck could this ever exist in real life? They're whipping people up, like right, left and centre off the streets of Seoul and Tokyo and Athens in London and Paris for this multiple na- nas- multinational game of squids one local policeman's asking questions just one and they're not even trying to be clandestine about it they're whipping them up in like blacked out limousines and then just dumping them back on the street this ain't ever going to happen is it in real life it's fatally flawed it is is what i'm saying they try to address that and i think the first episode or might have been the whatever the one of the earlier episodes where they get where they oh it was once they vote to get out of the game what's his face uh, for 
56 goes to uh, the police station. It's like, you got to do something about it. But they would have been dropped yeah. just not doing that at all because it's so... Because there would be hundreds of missing people. And we're not talking about down and outs or drug addicts or homeless people or prostitutes yeah. or hookers or whores <laughs> or ladies of the night. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, talking about we're talking about we're talking about like legitimate people with jobs and families. One, one of whom the police are actually looking for. You might want to look into this, you know? Like, and not one of those people said, look. They don't leave like, you know, the, the classic trope of if you don't see me in fucking 10 days, open this envelope or something. Do you know what I mean? Or like a little microfilm or something. Like, it's just, it's preposterous. Like, the first thing I would do is tell one person what was going on. And, and like, this is fucking weird. Do you think I should do it? Yeah. Like, it's that straightforward. Yeah. Like, there is no way something like this could be hidden. And it's only the one guy. Not in today's. Like, the one cop who's looking after it, but only because he's missing his brother. Yeah, it, it's not it's not plausible. And I think they should have just sort of ditched that entire section of the that episode because it, it, it just draws attention to the fact that it's so implausible. Mm. And their attempt to explain it away, like, oh, we don't believe these crazy people talking about death games. is just like, <laughs> it's not successful. No, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) I do believe as well that just because they've all volunteered themselves to go back, that sort of instantly disqualifies them for ever changing their mind again. Because for me, there was a clear line drawn in the sand when it went from survival of the fittest to adversarial. Mm. It took a war thing where it wasn't if you're good enough, you survive, to literally half of you are going to die. Half the people in the sh- like that you'd look at the opposition and go, Yep, fuck it, I'm out. This suspension of disbelief, but everything else has to work. And yeah. I, I, I think it spent too much time trying to be clever about characters and it didn't focus enough on being clever enough about plot. Yeah, about actually carrying off the plot. The interesting, I, I don't know if you remember, but when they vote out, the mastermind number one is to cast the final vote to leave. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they kind of answered that in the end where he talks about. It's a way of scrubbing your conscience. You chose to come back. I gave you an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was good. Yeah. So I thought that was like kind of interesting, but yeah, it's, I don't know. As a story, I don't, I don't think it's that successful. That's why I sort of am, am a bit ambivalent about it. I like the ideas that they, that they had to shoehorn the game into a real life to make these sort of, sat- sort of satirical points, but ultimately you can't think too closely about it or you're going to, it's not going to be as fun. <laughs> What I will always have patience for, especially visually, is something that tries very hard but falls down. I would rather that in almost every instance. Yeah, I think it's got its, it has got a lot of faults. I mean, there was a whole thing about it being fair, about giving people that have been corrupted by capitalism this opportunity to prove themselves one last time because in here everything's fair but then time and again it's the most manipulated game possible whenever the participants have the upper hand they're always undermined by the controllers i'm talking about the controllers this is i actually really like it's in the same way that i mean god this is funny right that American cinema is worried about having an all-Asian cast, but no no Chinese production companies worrying about having an all-white cast for representation, right? What I love about this is in the same way that anime, anime, I fucking struggle to say that. <laughs> I just don't like that. I just don't like, it just makes me feel icky. It's an... an uh, <laughs> Japanese animation. <laughs> yeah. They do all Westerners with like fucking huge right. eyes, like like disproportionately big eyes. The American billionaires were the most tokenistic, racist thing I have ever seen on openly on television. <laughs> and the acting was so bad. I and that made me think, this is making me realize why China didn't like Shang-Chi didn't like the farewell it didn't like mulan it didn't like it's not going to show eternals as westerners watching that it is so disrespectfully characteristic racist 
white westerners but they probably didn't do it for that they were just being like okay you are the american people be american people i'm starting to understand now the reflection of that is of why china doesn't like it when the west tries to do china or eastern films because it's always a martial arts film it's like eye roll like you know yeah so, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's such a caricature yeah. all over the top i don't know what it was i haven't gotten far enough in to interpret the colors scheme and everything that you were just talking about tim and i'll be looking for that and we can talk about that offline but um or if it's good enough maybe you'll allow the new girl back on for five minutes that would, that would be yeah, not with that attitude okay i'll be cheeky right back to you if you want to <laughs> if you want to play that way but anyway that's why we booked you yeah, tara thank you. i want to bring all the i want all four of them babies. yeah well give me some cheek. i'm not even gonna say what i'm thinking right now I am a very handsome man, <laughs> but still pale in the shadow. I was going to say, I'm still trying to give Tim some credit. But um, anyway, I had, a, for some reason, a bit of a flashback to the prisoner with the aesthetics behind the scenes. Did, it, did that happen to anybody else? Did anybody else miss a lot of classes because they discovered the prisoner at the wrong time when they were in school, the reruns of the prisoner? Oh, Oh, I thought you were talking about the Hugh Jackman. Jake no, Gilligan no, the film. original, the BBC prisoner that we got over it. here much later. Okay. I don't know it. Oh, Cell Block yeah. H. Cell Block yes. H. Yeah. And I don't even know if I was right to say Cell Block H. The one where they take the spy gets a burn notice and he gets sent to an island and he's always asking okay. who's number one. No, that that prisoner. Mm. Was I don't it know Patrick that one. McGillan? Patrick McGillan, I think. I don't know. That uh, well, how old is it? It's older than me. It was already here. <laughs> It was already a rerun in the 70s. I think it's from the 60s. But yeah, Yeah. the aesthetics of how things were run and cartoonish and childish in the background and never being able to get an adult answer for an adult question gave me that reference point. Somebody besides me has to have seen it somewhere. There's someone nodding somewhere that's listening to us right now. The guy from Brussels. You know what? I actually think that last week might have been the first week that he didn't listen to us. I did listen. The irony. I did listen. No, not you, Brussels. No, not you. Not oh, you. the person Brussels, when you Brussels. gave the shout out. Oh, Brussels, yeah, Brussels friend. Let me open up um, Safari. <laughs> we have a looky loo. Let, let, uh, let me make my one final point about the show, I guess. So one thing I think it did really successfully, though not pleasantly, is you got this, like we talked about, this sort of infantile vibe set against what is truly like an Auschwitz-like reality within this game. Yes. Yeah, the yeah. drab barracks. The dilemma, the central dilemma is this idea that to survive this game requires complete solidarity amongst everyone, right? You can vote yourself out of the game, but complete solidarity is absolutely impossible at the same time. They recognize that you have to team up, right? Cooperate. Mm-hmm. And they develop in, in the context list, they develop these like real tender moments, accumulation of these small moments of getting to know someone, learning about them in just like these small tendernesses that accumulate over the course of the show. All the while you realize that each of them are marching towards like quite literal annihilation struck me as you know Auschwitz like it was I thought very very successful and very sad at the same time yeah a couple of things that I've written down here that that tie into that I think decency is a privilege Mm -hmm. loyalty is a privilege trust is currency yes totally totally yeah well said to Um, trust trust essential trust is currency is so so important that's deep I like that have to both trust and be trusted but the game is set up that and it is a big deal they're, i mean they're impossible yeah mm. so you're laying like your a, life on the line oh, literally to trust yeah. someone but when if you I, can't God, the worst one was like that's sorry. the thing with ali like ali and um i was about to say know, that ali yeah that was so bad dude that was so and, and you can't fault him i know it's like a disingenuous way of doing it but what difference does it make like someone had to die yeah, you can't fault either of them, really. It's like... God, I need to clear the rest of my weekend to finish these now. It was like the, like the emotional like high point of the show. and so. I'm talking about emotional high points. I mean, when I say that, that's my politically correct name for my erection. <laughs> <laughs> Jung Hoyong. Oh, my God. She's the one that got stabbed in the neck right at the She's death. a 40. She's, she is fucking sensational honest to god i if someone said to me you have to kill your mother and you will be caught by this time next week but she will love you for that week i would have to flip a coin 
like because like my emotional integrity but my sheer bloodlust to kill my mother <laughs> no I'm joking, I'm joking. I, I wouldn't do yeah. that I mean I mean it's kind of like a win-win situation. <laughs> no, no I'm joking my mum's a lovely lady <laughs> That just got really sinister. <laughs> ah, and probably too right. The, the important thing is there are some ladies in the world that are sexy enough for me to kill my mother. And my mum would like it because <laughs> like she would sacrifice herself <laughs> knowing that was her that was her legacy. Oh, so funny. <laughs> yeah, that that number 67, man, she is like a 50 out of 10. Oh dude, the, the, the other um the other lady <laughs> that got brought in, you know, when they're doing took a war and she went intentionally to get the other lady. Mm, yeah. Did you think that that was Yuriko from um, The Wolverine? I, I was convinced it was her. Uh, not Yuriko. I don't, I, I did not put that together, but I, I did feel like I'd seen her before. The one that was kind of like his, his guide that brought him back to Japan. Yeah. Not- yeah, I thought they are so similar. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love them so much they burst. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, How much can I Sometimes pay them to listen to this? Oh man! <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I missed you guys. Right. Right, let's, oh let's, let's, shit, um, guys! That was a good Tim. good discussion. Do you want to shoot off, Tim? Uh, yeah, I gotta. Yes, thank you. Great to see you guys. Good conversation. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you for being a part yeah. Of it. Um. See you soon. That was fun. So definitely not fixing the outro in post, but I'd like to thank Tim. Thank you very much, Tim, for all your glorious contribution this week. And big, big thanks to Tara for making herself available at the crack of dawn to join us on this week's podcast. And of course, thanks to me as well, because, you know, I'm pretty, pretty cool as well. So, yeah, good episode, I feel. And that only leaves me one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end.